Please take a Bible, if you will, and turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4, if you're using one of these Bibles in the pews, it's page 839. Mark 4, spending a few weeks in some of the parables that, that Jesus spoke. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's word. Again, he began to teach besides the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, so, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So ends the reading of God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. One of the highlights of being a kid is when, you're, when your class gets on television and you, you see yourself and you say, that's me, I'm in the story, that's me. And when Jesus talks, we ought to have that same experience. We ought to be listening and say, he's talking about me. He's teaching the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we think, which one of the travelers am I? Or the parable of the the prodigal son, and we think, which brother am I? This parable has you in it. It has every one of us in it. Because one of these soils represents your heart. Mark's gospel is telling us that Jesus is the king, and he's making a new family. And the king comes with words of love and of mercy, and he's asking, are you part of that family? Do you know Christ? Are you growing? Is your heart tender toward him this morning? If not help is available because you are not here today by accident. You did not just happen to arrive here for this service. 
The text is pretty clear. Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. It's the popular phase of his ministry. This is before the great hostility began to develop between Jesus and the religious leaders. And so people are coming from far away. We know from the other Gospels that it said some had come and were there from Jerusalem. That was a four-day walk. They had come to hear this young rabbi. Some had come from the Mediterranean coast. And so on this particular day, the crowd is very large, so large that Jesus gets into a boat, and he pushes the boat out into the water, and he teaches them, teaches them from the boat. And he teaches them, verse 2 tells us, with parables, verbal pictures about life. With a parable, often the lesson comes at the end of the story because it is the burden on the hearer to connect the story to what the lesson is. This particular parable was familiar. Some speculate that even as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, perhaps off to the side or in a nearby field, there was a man with a bag around his waist throwing seed out, rhythmical casting of the seed. And as he, as he cast out the seed, some falls on the paths where people would walk. Peasants would walk through the fields from one place to another. They had the right of eminent domain on those paths. So they would be hardened down, and some of the seed hit there. It bounces off that hard ground, and only a matter of moments later, the birds come down and fly away with it. Some of it lands on rocky soil, and it quickly sprouts, only to wilt under the Palestinian heat of the sun. And then the sower cast in another direction, and it lands what looks to be good soil, but they're thorns, and it grows with it and chokes it out. And then the last of all, the seed, it's cast on good ground and bears fruit, multiplies 30, 60, and 100 times as much. That's the end of the parable. That's it. It's over. Perhaps there was a man named Benjamin there, and he had come quite a long distance. So he gets home. It's late at night. His wife is there. She's prepared supper for him, and she said, well, what did you think of the young rabbi? What did he have to say? And Benjamin's looking at his his meal and he's looking kind of scratching his head and said well it was one of the one of the weirdest things weirdest things I've ever heard he talked about a farmer out there sowing seed said it fell on all different kinds of grounds I knew that everybody in the crowd knew that nothing new there it was a keen insight into the obvious a complete waste of my time and then there's another man named Reuben And he had come from a nearby village, so it did not take him long to travel back to his village. And he he gets there in the late afternoon, and he goes to meet with his cronies in the center of town. And he's drinking some wine, and they are interested in what this rabbi had to say. And he said, well, he was talking to farmers. Yeah, I guess he was telling them to conserve their seed, to be careful where you sow your seed. His lesson was on conservation. And he pointed out that some of them were wasting, some of the farmers were wasting their seed, and he's just throwing it everywhere, so be careful where you throw it. Didn't matter to me, I run a shop, so it didn't help me any. Then the scripture tells us of the disciples, after the crowd had left in verse 10, they essentially say to Jesus, what was that all about? After all, they'd committed their lives to Christ, they'd left their livelihoods, some a lucrative fishing business. One had a post in the national tax system. And so they're committed to him, and they want to know what he's teaching. They want to understand what he was saying. 
So he responds in verse 11. Now I have to tell you that typically when you read the parable of the sower, people pass over verses 11 and 12 because of what I'm getting ready to tell you. They read the first part through verse 9, and then they read the explanation beginning in verse 13. But you cannot understand the parable without understanding verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see and not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. It almost gives the impression that God's trying to keep his message secret and obscure from others. You have to understand the background. Verse 12 is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. 700 years before this was written, Isaiah is a prophet in a nation going through a national tragedy. Their king, King Uzziah, has just died. And Isaiah goes into the temple, and he's seeking direction from the Lord as to what to do next. And that's what we have in Isaiah 6. If you don't know anything much about Isaiah, you probably know about Isaiah 6. That's when he has this vision, and the the seraphim and cherubim around the throne of God, and these angels, and it brings a hot coal to his mouth, and he says, says, I am an unclean man, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And this is what's happening to Isaiah in chapter 6. And then God speaks to Isaiah and says, I need a messenger, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, speak to me, send me. You know that part. And then in response to that, in Isaiah 6, That's when this verse comes. He says, I'm going to send you, Isaiah, that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Isaiah has been given a tough assignment. It's going to be a hard crowd to deal with. So hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. In other words, they're going to be very unresponsive. And what happens is Isaiah will take the message, God's message to the people, and they will not accept it. That's what God tells him in Isaiah chapter 6. That's what Jesus is saying, that he brings the message, but some will not accept it. A parable is not the same as an illustration. In an illustration, if it's a preacher using an illustration or a Bible teacher or whoever... In preaching, you give an abstract truth, and then the purpose of the illustration is to clarify that truth. You may say, well, we need to pray all the time. Let me give you an illustration of this person who did that. So the illustration is to clarify the abstract truth. That's not the purpose of a parable. A parable doesn't do that. A parable, you have the truth, and the parable is tossed alongside of it, but the, the burden is on the listener to make the connection. For example, here's a parable. Even monkeys fall out of trees. Here's another one. That that was a parable. It's a real short parable. Here's one. If you're ever in the market for a fur coat, don't buy one from a bear who's still wearing it. Now, if I, as the teacher, make the connection for you, such as, Even monkeys fall out of trees. And you look at me like that, and I say, look, even experts make mistakes. 
then it's become an illustration because I made the connection for you. But if I leave it up to you to make the connection, then that's a parable. The listener has to do the work. And so what Jesus is not saying here is that I speak in parables because I do not want them to get it. Any more than God sends Isaiah to preach because he did not want people to get it. If he did not want people to get it, he wouldn't have sent the preacher. If Jesus did not want people to understand, he would not have spoken. So there is a difference. Now here's the key to the parable, okay? Right here. There is a difference in the purpose of preaching God's word, sowing seed, and the result of that preaching. And this parable is about the result, not about the purpose. The purpose of the preaching is to make truth clear. But the result of preaching can harden people. Even preaching that makes things clear can make people harder toward it. In this parable, Jesus is emphasizing the word of God, saying that it exists not only on the lips of the person sowing, the lips of the preacher or the teacher, but it exists in the ear of the hearer. And so the word of God to do its work by the way it's described here is dependent on you who listen, on all of us as we listen to God's word. Now the image given of the Bible here is very fragile. It's a seed. A seed is very fragile. We like those images of God's word in the Bible that are more powerful. In Jeremiah, God's word is described as a hammer that crushes rock. Mm, I like that illustration. It's described as fire which burns brush. The writer of Hebrews says it's a sword that can, that can pierce to the very depths of a person's heart. But here, it's fragile. It's a, it's a seed. And that seed is dependent on the listener, on the hearer. If it falls on hardened ground, it doesn't do its work. That's why Jesus says in a parallel passage, therefore be careful how you listen. Consider carefully how you hear. Because whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. What Jesus means by that is he's saying if you take God's word and you receive it with an honest and a good heart and you apply it to life and you persevere in it, you'll get more of God's word. But if you take the word of God and you let it bounce off of you like hard ground and it makes no difference in your life, then you do not stay where you are. You will lose what you have. Use it or lose it is not just a principle of life. It's a spiritual principle as well. Use it or lose it. Y'all remember the name Van Cliburn? Most of you do. Van Cliburn died this past February. At the age of 78, he'd been sick with cancer for a long time. He was one of the greatest pianists in the world, if not the greatest, during the 1950s and 60s. He uh, won awards in Russia and in European countries and here in America. Uh, he, he, uh, he was very, very gifted. And in the middle 1970s, he took a leave from the concert tour, from touring all around. And it lasted for a while, a few years. And then later on, he 
was thinking about beginning to play again before crowds. He kind of reclused himself away. And he was asked in an interview, what would it take to get back to where you were after being away from it for this period of time? And he said, it would take a year to a year and a half of practice eight to ten hours a day, six days a week. Eight to ten hours a day, six days a week, for a year to a year and a half, just to get back to where he had been. That would not make any improvement. You use it or you lose it. Languages. Some of you here studied languages in the past. I, I wouldn't say I studied it. I took Spanish in junior high school. I took Latin in high school. I studied Hebrew and Greek in seminary, and I excelled at Greek. I made straight A's all through Greek. I loved it. I could open the Greek New Testament along an English Bible, and I could read some of the books, some of the letters, just almost at the speed of English. If you were to put a Greek New Testament in front of me right now and say, read this, read this paragraph, if I could, it might take a few hours. You didn't want to hear your preacher saying that, right? We're supposed to be Greek scholars. Use it or lose it. That's the Isaiah principle. You take the Word of God into your life, you get more of it. That explains churches. Years ago, I, as an RUF campus minister and a seminary student, I preached in churches all over the place. And there are some preach, uh, congregations where you would preach and the people are hungry. They are interested. They are listening. There are others. You might as well take seed and plant it on that pavement right out there. Boom. And you can't end the sermon fast enough. I'm looking for the conclusion from the middle of the sermon saying, let's land this plane and get out of here. This is going nowhere. Someone said great preachers make great churches. The reality is great churches make great preachers. People that are interested, and you know they're learning. They're learning on their own. They pray. They want to hear God's word. It makes all the difference in the world. You want more of God's truth? The message here is you can have it. You want a relationship with the living God? You can have it. All four souls are different. Briefly, here are the four souls. The first, as Jesus explains it, beginning in verse 15, you could say is the hard heart or the resistant heart. The seed falls on this ground, on this compacted earth. It doesn't penetrate. It lands on the beaten path. The response of these hearts are hard. They hear God's word. It's like water off a duck's back. It is impervious to them. The message just slides right away. Satan will see to that. And there's a satanic element. He steals the message. He steals the word away. There's no interest in God whatsoever. The person is not necessarily hostile to the gospel. They're just not interested. It's not relevant. They're busy. They're always on the go. No time for contemplation. Does not give a second thought to eternal matters. J.C. Ryle was a, an Anglican bishop in the 1800s and he preached the Bible and he wrote this about the satanic influence when we try to listen to God's word. He said, from him, that is the devil, come wandering thoughts, roving imaginations, listless minds, dull memories, sleepy eyes, fidgety nerves, weary ears, and distracted attention. What was true then is still true now, isn't it? And some hear it and only become harder. 
When the word goes out, it can bring life or it even hardens hearts. Do you know know someone like that? If you have a hard heart toward God's word? I do. Me. You. Don't be thinking about your spouse or that friend or that child. Our hearts naturally are hard. You're hard. I'm hard. Some people say they don't believe. They don't listen because they don't believe in any miracles. They need proof. Well, thousands of people saw the miracles of Jesus, and they still didn't believe. The problem is not the adequacy of the message. The problem is the condition of the heart. So if you are seeking full understanding of the mysteries of God before you believe, it will never happen. Faith, increasing faith, comes before full understanding. If I had notes, a handout, that would be highlighted in yellow right there. Faith, increasing faith, comes before full understanding. It's faith seeking understanding that receives the truth, and that's what God blesses, and then he enlightens your mind to understand more. Second type of soil is the shallow heart. They're unwilling. The rocky soil. I've not been to Israel, but many of you have, and I've seen enough pictures, and I watched Anthony Bourdain the other night in Jerusalem, and you can see how rocky it is. It's one of the rockiest places on earth. Someone said if the Israelis could export rock, they would be the richest nation on the planet. Well, there was plenty of rock, and in this case, the seed lands there, but it's got some soil, but it's not deep. From the human standpoint, Jesus says they respond, they receive the message, they respond with joy, but it's short-lived. It's a shallow emotional experience to Christ. It never penetrates the depth of their heart. It doesn't get to the intellect. It doesn't get to the will. And so when trouble or persecution comes because of that word, they quickly fall away. And Jesus says this will happen. People seem to receive the word, in fact, with joy. They say, this is what I need. I've been waiting for this. This is what I want. I want God to do something. And then the heat's turned up. And they quickly fall away. Because it gets costly. Because of the word. Here's a single Christian young lady. And she realizes there aren't many single Christian young men. And maybe she will never get married. Will she abandon the faith at that point? The Bible says, stay with your spouse. You say, I want to leave. Well, are you going to abandon the Lord because it's gotten hard? God says to be honest in your dealings with others and you're in an environment that pressures you to be dishonest and to lie in your work. Will you quickly fall away? And so the initial enthusiasm is short-lived. It's not that it wasn't genuine. It just has no depth. Third, the divided heart. Seed lands on this. It appears to be good ground. This one looks just like the good ground, but apparently over time, as it's watered, thorns grow up. They sprout and grow and they choke out. They choke out the grain before it can produce fruit. Jesus says those thorns are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for for other things. And so this here is pulled in conflicting directions. What are such cares of life? Well, we're all filled with them. It doesn't matter where you live or what you do. The distractions of life, 
you're a student, maybe worries about school or exams or business or the bills or children or grandchildren or caring for older parents. It's just the typical cares of life which can dominate your life. And then crowd out the Word of God. It's like, I'm just too busy. I don't have time to think about those things. I've got things to do. Look at my list. My to-do list has 20 things on it today. And tomorrow, 10 of those will be moved over to that because they won't get done. I don't have time to think about this. I certainly don't have time to read it. He mentions the deceitfulness of riches. Wanting more, bigger, better, best. Then the perpetual energy to protect and to preserve what you have. It has a seductive effect on us. It can be subtle. (laughs) I read years ago of a freighter that crashed into the Tampa Bridge, Tampa Bay Bridge, and several cars, when it hit, it shifted the road, and there was one particular car that was right on the edge, almost going over, and there were four men in it. They were carpooling. All four got out and, and got away from the car, and one went back, and the crowd was yelling at him, and he kind of crawled. He crawled his way back to the car right on the edge. He, he had his keys. He stuck his keys up in the trunk and opened the lid and pulled his golf clubs out. He says the desires for other things. It's just these other things. I like the, the monkey trap. I watch, you watch National Geographic? I mean, you see the, the, in the big ant pile, the mud piles, and they make a hole and they put those nuts in there and the monkey comes in and grabs the nuts and the hole's too small to get its hand out and so it just, it just stands there and then somebody comes along and, you know, they, 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 they even trap the monkey. That's the description here. It's the cares of this life. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the desires for other things. Just other things are more important. Then the last soil, the fourth one in verse 20, the responsive heart. The seed here, same seed lands, it takes root. This person embraces God's word. This is a soft heart. It's a yielded heart. And they receive his word deeply and thoroughly and exclusively. He wants to receive his word in a way that we yield to him. And we ask, am I really rooted in it? And this is not a perfect heart. This is not a person who is perfect. It's an accepting heart. It's a believing heart to God's Word. And the result is fruitfulness. How do you become good soil? Obviously, Jesus is speaking, saying, you all should be of good soil when you hear God's Word. Well, it's only by God's grace, obviously, that His Holy Spirit plows up the ground so that we can receive his word. Uh, But it's also resisting the influences that distract us and take us away from it and learning to seek first the kingdom of God. So make his word the controlling reality in your life. Note here about the fruit. It is disproportionate to the sowing. The same amount of seed falls on the path as lands on the good ground, but look at the huge difference. The result, it's disproportionate to the sowing. Sometimes it exceeds all our expectations. Think about Saul of Tarsus. He becomes the Apostle Paul. There he's a persecutor of those sowing the seed, and his life is turned upside down. And then the Roman Empire is turned upside down. Disproportionate. That seed landed on that soil, and look what was produced. Think about the 11 disciples. If we look at the book of Acts, someone asked me to clarify this after the first service, but if we look at the book of Acts and we see the small number of people that were followers of Jesus after the resurrection, 
then there's a good likelihood that the number of us seated in this room right now far outnumber the true followers of Jesus after his crucifixion. Now think what's happened to where almost half of the world's population as of today has heard the gospel. This still, despite the news and what you hear about Islam, Christianity is the fasting, fastest growing religion, religion in the world compared to other world religions. And the, mes- the, the most massive growth is taking place within the Muslim world of those being converted to Christianity. That is disproportionate fruit that comes from the seed that lands on the good ground. So take heart. The power is not in the sower. The power is in the seed, God's word. So parents, grown parents, you've got kids that are 26, 28, 30, and you say, we taught them about Christ. I did everything James Dobson said to do on the radio. And my son says there is no God, and he hates things like church. Well, take heart. The Bible also says in a parable that you sow seed in your sleep, and the next day you get up and there's a tree there that God has produced. I could tell you as one who sows the seed through preaching, sometimes if you were to ask me afterwards how did it go, I would say, well, I think it went real well, and it went awful when I look at the results. of it. Other times, I can't hold people's attention. I can't even get my words right. And when I don't understand my own sermon, I can rest assured nobody else understands it. Cell phones going off. People are making calls during the service. <laughs> and I think this is awful. And then I get these emails the next week affirming how God used it. It is totally unpredictable. It is totally unpredictable. I say that to say the power is the word of God. It's not in the sower. It's unpredicted. So be encouraged, parents. Sow the word with your kids, with your grandkids, whoever. Witness to your friends. Trust him to produce the fruit. So the most important thing right now as I close is that you and I ask ourselves, how's my heart? Do I receive the word with openness, or is my heart hard? Is there a cynicism? You know what I find among people who've been professing believers for a while? They're either really growing or they become cynical. And the cynicism is hidden behind sarcastic humor. In everything you mention about God or the church, there's some kind of little sarcastic ditty just to end the conversation. That's a hard heart. That is a hard heart. Am I too busy? Am I too preoccupied? Is my heart fertile? Is my heart divided among other things? Is my heart good soil? Is my heart bearing fruit or will it bear fruit? Do I receive God's word and keep his word? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It is your seed and we pray that you would bear fruit in our hearts and the lives of others. You have not said here that everyone's categorized into one of these four permanently. Lord, this can play out in even given weeks. We pray you'd produce fruit in us. Pray you'd give us a hunger for your word. We have questions. We don't have all the answers. Pray you'd give us a faith that would lead to more understanding, that would lead to more faith, that would lead to more understanding. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.